You are listening to Press Church Podcasts. Please enjoy this week's message. The title of my sermon this morning is You Feed Them. You Feed Them. We're going to be reading a story out of Luke chapter 9. It's a story that we're very familiar with if you've been in church for any amount of time. And also, if you've done anything with kids' church, you've also probably told this story before. Luke chapter 9, we're going to read verses 10 through 17, and then we'll dive into the text. Verse 10 starts in Luke chapter 9, And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethesda. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him, and they received him, and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who had need of healing. Verse 12, And when the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country, and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. Verse 13, But he, being Jesus, said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so, and made them sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. The last verse here. So they all ate and were filled, and the twelve baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. I want to speak to you today and encourage you today to let you know that there's something inside of each and every one of us that can help and influence our world around us. That you, being here in this church, are also a part of the church of God, the overall church of God, and you matter, you are needed, and there is something that God wants to do with you and also through you. And we want to see that in this passage today. We see an example in this story of what the world looks like even right now. Of what the world's going through and what the world is looking for and what the world is asking for. And that I hope by the end of the service we'll be able to convince you and help you see that you are the answer and you hold the answer to what the world is looking for. You see, in this story, we see the world coming to see Jesus and experience Him, but it says that they're in a deserted place. The disciples say in verse 12, let me see. Yeah, verse 12, when the day began to wear away, the twelve came to send, send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and lodge and get provision, for we are in a deserted place. That the world currently feels deserted. In some way we feel deserted by the officials that we have put in place, whether it be doctors whether it be politicians, whether it be businessmen, it appears that in this moment, nobody has the answer. 
We're just guessing. We're just throwing things against the wall, hoping something sticks. And we see that the world is in a deserted place. We see that time is wearing away. We see the disciples saying that it's getting darker. That we know that there are people out there who are just wasting their life away. Day by day, they wake up, they do the same thing, they struggle with the same thing, their marriage is falling apart, they hate their job, and they're just waiting on the day that they can crawl in their casket and call it done. We see in this story that the world is, they're tired. The disciples say that we want to send them away so they can go find lodging. That the world is sick and tired of trying to get an answer from somebody, trying to find truth from somebody, trying to find out what this means, why we're here, what's going on, why this is happening. We also see that the world is hungry. They're hungry for something. In this story, they're hungry and looking for something to eat, but they're in a deserted place. They have no opportunity to eat. We see in the scriptures in Ephesians chapter 2, we'll jump a little bit in that passage. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 2, I mean, starting in verse 1, I'm sorry, and he says, He in you, he made alive. So right there, we see Paul making a distinction between you who are saved, who are in Christ, who love God. He's making a distinction right off the bat of this passage. You, he made alive. So whatever he says next is about those who aren't alive, who aren't saved, who are in this world, who were dead in trespasses and sin, verse 2, in which you once walked. Thank God we no longer walk there. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. I've gone into... um, Grocery stores have seen plenty of sons of disobedience, among whom also we are all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We see in this couple of scriptures the intensity of the world the frustration of the world, the evil of the world. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to drop down after verse 3 all the way to verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision, but what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12 that at that time you were without Christ. This is before Christ. This is before you love the Father. This is an example and a picture of the world and what they're going through and the mindset that they are dealing with, what they are struggling with, the questions they are asking. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13 but this is you, but now in Christ Jesus, who you once were afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's go back to verse 12 real quick. 
the very end it says that you were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That this is what your friends and family, your co-workers, the people that you encounter on social media on a day-to-day basis, this is the hope that they have, those who aren't in Christ, the hope that they have is no hope. They have no covenant in the promises of God. They don't have God in this world. Hopefully in the very beginning we can paint this picture of seeing what the hurting and dying world looks like out there so that we as Christians can learn as we go through the text today to have more compassion for these people, to understand of what they're going through, the struggle that they're dealing with. For those who do not have Christ in their heart, for those who have not submitted and said yes to Jesus, this is the struggle that they're dealing with. They're hungry and looking for somebody to feed them. And they're trying and eating whatever they can, whether it's drugs, whether it's power, whether it's fame, whether it's money. They're trying whatever they can to eat, to fulfill. They're looking for hope. That there's, in this story, we see 5,000 men. Who knows how many women and children are also involved in this group. And there's Jesus, and there's 12 Christians that are there that have the opportunity to minister to 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, 10,000 people. But what did they have that they could offer to a hungry, to a hopeless, to a tired, to a dying world? I'm glad you asked that question, because I want to answer it today. That we see in this passage... In verse 13 of Luke chapter 9, Jesus is telling them, we need to feed them, we need to take care of them. And they're trying to figure out what to do. And Jesus puts the onus on them. He tells his disciples, you feed them. You do it. Now, if I'm a disciple, I would answer the same way. This story is presented several times throughout the gospel, and you can read it. And one of the disciples says, well, we don't even have enough money. I mean, there's 200 denarii wouldn't even pay for the amount of food that we would have to do. They start trying to brainstorm of how can we fix this issue of a hurting, hoping, dying world. So maybe we can throw money at them. Maybe we can do this. Maybe we can... Do that. Jesus says, you feed them. And Andrew comes in another passage. You can see the story that says, Andrew brings some food. He says, all we have is a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish. That the disciples who have Jesus on their side, when they have the opportunity to help somebody, the first thing they think of is how insignificant they are and what they have is not worthy to be given. I mean, all we got is, is this. But Jesus says, that's all I need. To do something miraculous. 
You see in Hebrews chapter 30, verses 20 through 21. Hebrews chapter 30, 13, I'm sorry. There is no 30, you won't find it. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep. This scripture right here blesses me as a pastor. Because it says throughout the scriptures that a pastor is a shepherd who is called to take care of the sheep, to take care of the congregation. And what blesses me as a pastor is to see this, that there is a greater shepherd than me who is responsible for all of the sheep. So it gives me great grace and mercy to know that my pastor is Jesus. It gives me great excitement to let you know today that your pastor is also, because you are a sheep in the congregation of the body of Christ, and the great shepherd will take care of you. He's put his individual pastors, as we have all throughout the the town, in the area, and throughout the world, he puts individual pastors into areas to help shepherd the sheep. But boy, it takes some pressure off of us pastors when we know that the great shepherd is also pastoring the sheep as well. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, verse 21, what does the blood of the everlasting covenant do? What does the great shepherd to all the sheep do? He makes you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom the glory, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That the disciples go to Jesus and they're talking to them about trying to figure out how do we help the world. And their idea is, well, let's send them away. Let's send them somewhere else. Uh, Let's get them lodging and food and all those things somewhere else. And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's not those people's responsibility to take care of the world. It's your responsibility. You feed them. You take care of them. And all of a sudden, they start scratching their head and thinking, okay, how are we going to do this? And Jesus says, what's already in your hand? What do you already have? What have I already made a way for the miracle to happen? And it says that Andrew brings the couple loaves of fish and bread and says, well, we got this. And Jesus says, that's exactly what we need. Exactly what is needed to minister. And in Hebrews, we see the great shepherd. He's working in you so that you can be made complete in every good work to do his will. He's already poured his blood out for you. He's already given you his new covenant. He's already... Place that inside of you so that you can do every good work to do His will. And it's listening and obeying the voice of God to know what His will is. That I think we get so caught up sometimes in trying to figure out what the will of God is in our lives that we forget that there are opportunities around us to do good works, which is His will. Sometimes we get so focused on internal insecurities 
of trying to figure out how and when and why is God going to show up in my life that we forget that there's opportunities for us to do good works around us. He's already given us the ability to do those good works. And it says that that is his will. It says in the scriptures that Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. It also says in the Gospels that Jesus says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to do and say. So therefore, whatever we see Jesus doing is the will in the heart of God, which Jesus has also encouraged us to do. And that's to go out and do good and heal all who are oppressed by the devil. It says in the Scriptures that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. So therefore... Anytime I see stealing, killing, and destroying happening around me, happening around my family, my friends, my social circle, that it's my job with the power of Christ inside of me to step up and say, this is what I have to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. To use the gifts of the Spirit that He has given us and to speak those out and to do a good work. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives me in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look at verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That we understand that there is something in our hands, there is something in our heart, there is something in our spirit that we have, that we may not know at this moment that we have, that is able and willing and ready to change people's lives around them. When you think that you have nothing, you still have more than this world. There were 5,000 men, however many women and children, who had no food, who had no hope, who had no idea when their next meal was coming. They had nothing in their hands. The disciples had something in their hands and didn't think it was significant enough. Unfortunately, this is a direct representation of what the body of Christ feels like right now. We have all that we need In Jesus. Jesus says, it's better that I go so that he can come. That makes no sense. I would love to have Jesus in the flesh walking on the earth. God in the flesh walking on the earth. He'd probably be a very hard book to get to come to your church. Probably have to be on a waiting list for him to come. God understood that. Jesus understood that. So he says, I have to leave 
So therefore, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you, so that way when you're saved, the same spirit that was in me, that rose Christ from the dead, now dwells in you, and the mystery that was hidden and revealed for all the ages, the scripture says, was Christ in you, the hope of glory. So now that there is something inside of you, as you have said yes to Christ, that is always inside of you. That is always ready and willing. The Spirit is always ready and willing to heal, to restore, to save, to speak a word, to show up, to encourage. The Spirit is ready and willing at all times to do that. We just have to tap in and say, this is what I have, God. Use me. 1 Corinthians 14 says, pursue love and desire the gifts. When you think you have nothing, you still have more than the world. No matter how you feel, you have more than the world and you have something to offer. Put your emotions aside. Put your insecurities aside. Put your frustrations aside. And understand that there is a hurting, dying world around us that is looking for hope and we have the hope. The hope of glory is what we have. That we take our eyes off of looking down and inward and we bring our head up and look around to say, God, what do you want to do? Who do you want to help? Who do you want to serve? What can I do today? Who can I text? Who can I reach out to? Who can I encounter today to help them in some way? It's just become... A habit of mine now that any time in life, if I'm going throughout my day and some name or some face pops up in my head, I usually either text them, find them on social media, message them, call them, I do something. Because I'm so busy in life, working through the week, you hear her chasing that uh, I was going to say hellion, but we're not going to speak that over her. Uh, That wonderful, energetic baby, five-year-old baby boy, running the church, maintaining our marriage. I'm so busy, and my mind is going so much. When somebody crosses my mind, whether they're back home with my family in Louisiana, church family in Texas, here in South Carolina, I make it a priority to stop what I'm doing. Holy Spirit, do you have something to say about them Or is there something going on? I say a prayer for them. I'll text them. Hey, thinking about you this morning. Praying for you. Haven't talked to you in a while. How are you doing? And how time after time, you get a text back. You get a message back. You get a call back. And they say, man, you don't know what I was going through. You don't know what was happening. When I was a young adults pastor um, in Texas a couple years back, uh, maintaining relationships with some guys who have moved on and moved wherever. And a couple months back, late at night, I got a text from one of the guys. It was this long text, and he was going through some things. And he sent me this text, and he says, I've been going through a lot of things. I've been struggling, and I'm embarrassed to text you. I don't even want to, to call you. I'm just going through so much that I'm even embarrassed that I'm texting you that I need help. And as soon as I read that, I immediately called him. I said, what are you doing? What's going on 
in your life. And he says, I, I, I've just been messing up so much. I've been struggling with this, struggling with that. And I said, why would you ever feel embarrassed to call me? And he said, well, you, I, just, I, just didn't wanna, I just didn't wanna disappoint you and let you know what was going on. And for the next hour or so, we just talked. And every time he said something negative, I just spoke a scripture into his life. I just kept combating everything that he said by speaking scripture into his life. And that is a small microcosm of what the world thinks when it comes to Christians. They don't want to come and talk to us. They don't want to, because they think, well, maybe they'll judge us. Maybe they'll laugh at us. Maybe they'll push us away. Maybe they'll do this or that. And that's never, hopefully, my heart whenever I encounter somebody. And they're going through something. But by the grace of God, the scripture says, Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not exactly where I want to be. But by the grace of God, right now, I am what I am. That we have something inside of us to go out there and reach a helping and hurting and dying generation. And if we get so caught up in ourselves and our struggles and what we're going through, we'll miss the opportunity to do that good work. We'll miss the opportunity for a miracle to happen through us. So many people say, I want to be used by God. Well, put yourself in a position to be used by Him. Because when God was moving with the disciples or with Jesus, there were usually issues going on. And it took a lot of faith for them to step in the middle of it and raise the dead and to pass out food to 5,000 men and to go out there and heal the sick and cast out demons. They had to put themselves in a position of uncomfortableness to say, I need you, God, to show up. So if we understand when you think you have nothing, you still have more than the world, then what do we have to offer? And I want to remind you today what you do have. You have the anointing on your life. You have the authority of Jesus. and You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You see at the end of our story in Luke chapter 9, Jesus gave the directions to the disciples to give to the world. Jesus says, you feed them. What do you have? Well, I have five loaves and two fish. He says, well, you tell them to sit down. Look at the direction that Jesus is giving his disciples to then go out and help the people. That God still speaks to his people. That Jesus still wants to speak to you about your life and what you're going through, but he also wants to speak to you about getting miracle signs and wonders through you. And he makes the disciples go out there and sit everybody down. Now these 5,000 men plus women and children, how easy do you think it is to sit down 5,000 men? Could be decently easy. What about a couple thousand women? I would assume they would listen eventually. But what about however many hundreds, however many thousands of children who are hungry and tired? As these disciples go, and what are they telling them? At this point in time, even if they did tell them, hey, we're about to feed you, they don't see a McDonald's in, a, in the distance. 
They didn't see 300 pizza cars show up to deliver pizzas. They have not seen Judas on a grill flipping burgers this whole time. They know that they're in a deserted area. They know that they're hungry. They know that they need something to eat. What are the disciples telling these people? They had to be telling them something by faith. Hey, we're getting you something to eat. Sit down. Jesus is preparing something for you to eat. Don't worry. We're going to feed you in a minute. Y'all have a seat. And he sits them down in groups of 50. And then Jesus gives thanks over the meal. Does he do it out loud for everyone to hear? All right, everybody be quiet. We're going to pray over the food. As 10,000 people look around, did you get something to eat? Did, did you? I don't, I don't have anything. I, nope, nothing in my hands. Thank you, Father, for this food. Thank you for the, the bread and the fish that we'll eat, we'll be nourished, and we'll get what we need to make it to our houses. And Jesus' name, in my name, if he was praying, in my name, amen. All right, disciples, go hand out the food. And the disciples, with their little to nothing, their little piece of bread, their half piece of fish, as Jesus broke it off and handed it to them, had to walk up to that first group of 50. And no doubt it's intimidating, just like us in our lives. Yes, it's intimidating to go and help somebody, to talk to somebody, to encourage somebody, someone who's struggling in their marriage, someone who's struggling in their faith, someone who's in a hospital sick, someone who got a diagnosis. For Yes, it's intimidating to walk up to somebody and say, I know a man who took stripes on his back so that you don't have to deal with that sickness anymore. I know someone who took nail scars in their hands and their feet and bled from their side and their head and their entire body so that your sins could be forgiven. To go up and walk up to somebody to offer help and step out in faith and say, this is all I have, but I'm willing, God, to be used by you. And they tore off that piece of bread and handed it to the first person. Or they took the complete piece of bread and handed it to that person and they said, well, I've got nothing in my hands now. And they took the next step to person number two. And I don't know what happened. Did the fish and the chips just automatically pop in their hand again? Did the loaf of bread just keep growing? Did the fish just keep simmering in, this, in their hands? As they kept, and then all of a sudden, number two, they said, oh, okay. And they got to number three. Uh, okay, this is kind of working. This is kind of cool. Oh, God, you're doing something. Then they got to helping number four and number five and number six. And all of a sudden, imagine the faith that was in those disciples when they got to number nine and ten. They're just throwing the food out because it's just multiplying and growing because of the miracle signs and wonders that God does when you say yes to what he can do. He put the miracle in their hand and told them to go out and do but what I love about my God is that my God is a God of abundance. And there were 12 baskets that were left over of food. After feeding 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10,000 people, there were still leftovers. Because it says that His mercies are new every morning. It says that His grace is more than enough. Where sin abounded, grace so much more abounded, the Scripture tells us. Because our God is an abundant God. He is a giving God. He is a loving God. And He is more than willing to not only help the circle of people around you, but even go further than that. 
At the end of the story, we see this hurting, dying, sad, no hope, hungry world fully satisfied. Fully satisfied. So much. They ate so much that there were baskets left over that if they wanted to get a decode plate, they could. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the scripture of Jesus before he leaves of the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spoke to them, his disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. No ifs, ands, or buts. Jesus makes that statement. He's the one that made it. He's the truth. He's the life. He said, all authority is his. Verse 19. And then he offers that authority to his disciples. He offers that authority to Anyone who believes in his name, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What Jesus did on the cross, and what Jesus is talking about here. And what we see in this scripture is Jesus wrapping us all up in a nice bow in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, is the original decree that God gave to mankind, that the devil thought that he took away when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over all the fish of the sea over all the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on earth. And that even means people. All the animals and everything that moves. God's original declare to man, declaration to mankind. And Jesus completely restores that. As Jesus shows us this example in Luke chapter 9, be fruitful and multiply. He puts the miracle in their hands. He says, go multiply. The spirit that's inside of you that has changed your life, that has healed your life, that has restored your relationships, the same Jesus that has done that to you and to your family can do the same thing to anybody else out there in the world. No matter how bad, no matter how evil, no matter how lost they are, that you have the opportunity to take a piece of that spirit and bring it to each and every person you encounter. You might think today that you have nothing. You might think today I'm a new Christian or I've been in church forever or I've done this or done that and I've got nothing to offer God. I've got nothing to offer my family. I've got nothing to offer my friends, family, whoever But if you have Jesus, you have everything. You have the Spirit inside of you. You have His authority inside of you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit is sent as your truth, as your comforter, as your helper. And it says He will guide you in all truths. And He will tell you of things to come in John chapter 16. You feed them. You feed them. And you know what? If you're having an issue in your life and you're trying to overcome something in your life, then you feed yourself. Before you go out there and feed everybody else, take some responsibility and say, you know what? 
I've got God inside of me. I've got the Holy Spirit inside of me, and I'm struggling with this. I've got no hope in this situation. I feel desperate in this situation. I'm tired of this situation. You feed yourself. It's time, it says in the Scriptures, to build yourself up on the most holy of of faith, speaking and praying in tongues, it says in Jude. You feed yourself. Start quoting Scripture, getting that Scripture inside of you, and bring life to that desolate place in your life. And as the Spirit moves, as He brings faith and revelation and truth into your life, then you can go out and help the dying world that's out there. Twelve disciples... Twelve disciples who decided to say yes to Jesus fed between five and 10,000 people. What can this church do if we tapped into that? What could you do if you tapped into it when it comes to your family, your friends, and your social circle? What if all the churches in this community decided that? That we're going to use what God gave us. We're going to use what God blessed us. And we're going to have him minister to us. And we're going to go out and use him to minister to the world. We would see revival like we've never seen before. We would see miracles like we've never seen before. If we trusted and truly believed what was inside of us was so powerful and so strong, we could change the world. So as we finish up, when you think you have nothing, you still have more than the world. You have the anointing. I want to encourage you to chew on that this week. No matter what you're going through in life, you still have something to offer. No matter what your age is, no matter where you're at, no matter what's going on, you still have something to offer this world. God still needs you. God's still going to use you. God's still encouraging you. God's still speaking to you. Because you have something to offer. You say, well, I just got a couple. Then use those loaves of fish and those loaves of bread. Use what you got and watch it multiply. Watch it multiply. Watch God use. And by the time you help the third person, the second person, the 80th person, you're going to be so full of faith. You'll look back in a week, in a month, in a year and say, I can't believe that I was held back by these insecurities. I can't believe I was held back by my past, by my failures, by my sins, by whatever. I can't believe I was held back because when you're out there doing good, it's His will. You're right in the perfect will of God when you're doing good and being used by Him. You have the anointing. Tap into it and be used by it. Amen? Let's stand up today as we get ready to depart. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for each and every person here that there is a gift There is a message, there is a sermon, there is a hope, there is something that you've placed in each and every one of these people's lives. Father, I ask you to highlight that this week. As they lay on their beds, as they drive to work, as they take a shower, as they're mowing their grass, as they're going throughout their their daily life, I thank you that you will speak to them and remind them what bread and fish is in their hand. What have you placed in their hand and their heart to be used by you. I ask you to rekindle that fire in their spirit to go out there and be a light. We are all called to be the salt and light of the earth. We are all called to be a city city set on a hill. We are all called to go out there and push the gates of hell back. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. 
How does he build his church by using us? Just simple people. And I thank you, Father, that you take the weak to confound the wise. That, Father, you use each and every one of us to go out there and change ourselves and change our world because we tap into the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. Father, I thank you that you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Father, I thank you that there's no confusion in these people, that they have a sound mind in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you once again for the healing, the miracle signs and wonders that are happening in your people's lives in this community. I thank you for those that aren't here today because of sickness. I speak health into their bodies in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that the people here, it says in your word, they are the head and not the tail. They are above and not beneath. They are blessed in the city and blessed in the field. And everything they put their hands to must prosper. Now, Father, I ask you to bless them. Cause your face to shine upon them. Be gracious to them and give them peace. And bring them back safely next Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you all next Sunday. Take care, family. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.